0: Sound Words, Christian Magazine, Volumes 51 to 60, republished by Irving Risch, host of Down to Earth But Heavenly Minded Podcast. Faith and Nature, the Lord said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred. And from thy father's house. This was the character of the call of Abraham. It was not a call from moral pollution or from idolatry or the like, it was a call from the associations of nature and of the earth. There were idols to be left, I doubt not. See Joshua chapter 24 verses 2 to 3. But it was not the leaving of them that constituted the nature of the call. He received no commission to cultivate the land of Canaan for the Lord, or to conquer and govern the people there. The arrangements of the world were left just as they were. Abraham had nothing to say to the nations through which he passed on the way to Canaan, and when he reached that land, he found the Canaanite there, and he left him as he found him. He came, however, rather to sojourn than to dwell there. He moves from place to place, and in every place it is but a tent he pitches. He had been told by the God of glory, that the land should be shown him. He should have it in his seed forever, but in his own person he was but to see it. And accordingly, we find him surveying it carefully, but not occupying any of it. He went first to Sikkim and to the plain of Moray, from thence, southward, to the neighbourhood of Bethel and High. Quickly, however, another man in our Abraham is before us, for, like all of us, beloved, he was a man of nature, as he was a man of God. And there is none perfect in the life of faith, as we said before, but the master himself. Famine touches the land into which the call of God brought him. A strange surprise this may well be thought to have been. But faith would have been equal to it. Faith in Paul was equal to a like surprise. Called into Macedonia by the voice of God, a prison awaited him but Paul stands the shock, though Abraham falls before it. Paul and his companions sing hymns in the prison of Macedonia, but Abraham practices a lie, seeking help from the famine of Canaan in another land, of which his call under the glory of God had made no mention whatever. J. G. Bellet, I will satisfy her poor with bread. King Solomon is probably the suppliant in Psalm chapter 132. He desires Jehovah to, remember for David all his affliction, calls upon Jehovah to arise into his rest, and asks that his priests might be clothed with righteousness and that his saints might shout for joy. His closing request is, for thy servant David's sake, turn not away the face of thine anointed. Jehovah answers to every request, not according to Solomon's asking, but according to his own goodness and pleasure. He will certainly remember all the affliction of his servant David, but he will also fulfill his promise and oath, he will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. This will have its complete fulfillment when, according to the announcement of the angel to Mary, the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Luke chapter 1 verses 32 to 33. When the Lord Jesus was upon earth, he came first as the promised Messiah, and faith could see him fulfill the divine promise to Solomon. I will satisfy her poor with bread. The poor had no place in the requests of Solomon, but they were not forgotten by Jehovah, and when the Lord Jesus came. He not only preached the gospel to the poor as had been prophesied by Isaiah Luke chapter 4 verses 18 to 21 but in feeding the 5000 and the 4000 he satisfied the poor of Israel with bread Psalm chapter 132 verse 15 Yet there were those who disparaged the work of the Lord who asked of him a sign from heaven so that they might believe in him saying our fathers did eat manna in the desert As it is written he gave them bread from heaven to eat John chapter 6 verse 30 31. They virtually said, Your feeding of the five thousand is a small matter compared with what Moses did in supplying Israel with manna in the wilderness. To this the Lord replied, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven, and giveth life unto the world. John chapter 6 verses 32 to 33. God was the source of the manna, and now, in his Son, the true bread, that of which the manna was a type, was offered to men, not only to Israel, but to the world. No man in this world could have life apart from feeding on the bread of God. He was the bread that God supplied, but also the one who satisfied and delighted the heart of God. Christ himself was the bread of life, the living bread, who brought life to men, an entirely new kind of life, the eternal life that was with the Father, and a life that death had no claim on. Whoever ate of this bread would live forever, not in the conditions of man after the flesh, where sin dominated all, but in a scene of love where everything is for the pleasure of the Father and the Son. To make this life available to all, the Son of God must enter into death. He has died, and life is obtained by feeding upon his death. As we eat the flesh of the Son of man and drink his blood, the soul partakes of the life, the affections and all that was manifested for us in that wonderful death. We must appropriate that death to partake of what God has for us. The Unleavened Cake Leviticus Chapter 2. Christ, as a divine person, had the title of an independent will. The Son quickens whom he will, but he came to do his Father's will. His will was obedience, sinless therefore, and perfect. Leaven, in the word, is the symbol of corruption, the leaven of malice and wickedness. In the cake, therefore, which was to be offered as a sweet savour to God, there was no leaven, where leaven was. It could not be offered as a sweet savour to God. This is thrown into relief by the converse. There were cakes made with leaven, and it was forbidden to offer them as sweet savour, an offering made by fire. This occurred in two cases, one of which, the most important and significative, and sufficing to establish the principle, is noticed in this chapter. J. N. Darby. Strengthen the things which remain everywhere the need is great, and we are reminded of how Nehemiah was affected when he heard the report about the people of God at Jerusalem. How he got down before God in fasting and prayer, and asked for twelve years off duty before the king to go to Jerusalem. Arriving there he viewed the wall by night, then set to work to rebuild it, watching and praying. Ezra deals with the state of the people. Having learned for himself from God's word he sought a right way for all who were with him. Those who trembled at the word of the God of Israel assembled at Jerusalem, God's center for his earthly people, no other place of meeting would do. In the wilderness, the tabernacle was the divine center, the people had their tents, and God had his, the tent of meeting. When Israel got into the land, Shiloh was first the center, then Jerusalem. In our day, Christ is the center for every saint. It is in heaven we see Jesus crowned with glory and honor at God's right hand. Stephen was the first to see God's new center, the heavens were opened, and by the Spirit's power Stephen's eye was filled with the glory of God and Jesus. But this view was not only for Stephen, we all, look on the glory of the Lord with unveiled face, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18. And in Hebrews chapter 9 and 10 we see how saints are fitted and encouraged to enter now into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. On account of Israel's idolatry, Moses pitched the tent of meeting outside the camp, and all who sought the Lord went out and worshipped there. Today, all who have faith are exhorted to go forth unto Jesus outside the camp, and there offer the sacrifices of praise to God continually, the fruit of the lips, confessing his name. It is in 1 Corinthians we have the divine instructions for the gathering together of the saints of God's assembly. And the first thing in the gathering is the eating of the Lord's supper for a remembrance of him. We are to go on with the breaking of bread, till he come. In the days of the returned remnant, the people were caring for their own houses, and neglecting God's house. The prophet Haggai, speaking for God, calls upon them to consider their ways. They were to go to the mountain and bring wood to build God's house for his glory and pleasure, and in so working they would find that God was with them. What they were building might seem feeble compared with Solomon's temple, but they were to go on with the work, assured that the latter glory of the house would be greater than the former we must not give up anything that belongs to Christ. The moral tone was very low in the days of Malachi, but those who feared the Lord spake often one to another, and a book of remembrance was kept for them. One thing I would encourage the saints to do is to get together and read the holy scriptures and pray. The fellowship and the breaking of bread will only be a reality as we listen to God speaking in his word, and as we speak to God in prayer. In John's first epistle he wrote, these things, that your joy may be full, 1 John chapter 1 verse 4, in his second epistle he trusts to come, and speak face to face, that our joy may be full, verse 12. It is not always what we get when we come together that helps us, it is sometimes what we part with. Water removes defilement, and rust is rubbed off. So that in meeting one another to read and pray much may have to go, wrong thoughts, wrong feelings and wrong desires. But the word of God not only puts out wrong things, it puts in right things, the things of God. May we therefore, as children of God, be, so much, the more together as the day, approaches, considering Christ, and considering one another, and encouraging one another, Hebrews chapter 10. Extracted, R. K. Wilson.